We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Still snowing out there, 33 degrees in the Twin Cities. And again, we are under a winter weather advisory until 11 o'clock tomorrow. So we hopefully this stuff won't muck up the morning commute, but keep it right here to WCCO Radio. In the news of late, uh, with the recent rise in crime, local law enforcement officials are experiencing a backlog when it comes to forensic DNA testing at the state's crime lab. This is a big reason why Ramsey County Attorney John Choi is joining the chorus of people asking for increased funding from the legislature for faster testing. He is putting some of his own skin in the game as well when it comes to the constituents he serves. John Choi on our John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline this evening. John, thanks for coming on with us. Hey, good evening, Susie. Nice to be on the show tonight. Yes, I like talking to you. You have a lot of interesting things to say. You have... A lot of things you are passionate about, and among them is yeah. uh, getting the bad guys off the street. And sometimes right. that's hard to do when what you need has not been processed yet into evidence. So kind of talk about the big picture and what you're up against in terms of DNA testing. Yeah, well, just, you know, with the with the rise and, you know, just more crime, and especially the violent crime. And, of course, we always have to prioritize um, the, the violent crimes and the, the more serious felonies. And so when that, as we've been experiencing that over the course of the last three years, what's been happening is, is that, you know, those cases will always get prioritized. But then the, the rate in which these cases are coming in the door in the available scientists at the BCA, it just hasn't been keeping up. And so now we're experiencing, you know, the, it's a, the average turnaround time to get something back from the lab is about 140 days. And in some cases, it's up to a year. So why that really matters for the public is that if, you know, we have to, in order to be able to charge a case, we have to prove that case beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury. And a lot of times when we're talking about a gun case or we're talking about maybe a case that didn't have a witness, that forensic science information, so DNA, fingerprinting, all of that stuff is really, really critical. And so one of the things I've noticed is that on some of the gun cases, the, the possession of maybe a, an ineligible person who maybe has a past felony conviction, those types of cases where they're not supposed to have a firearm, those cases have been taking just a long time. And so as I looked into it, I realized that, you know, the, the wait times for getting this information back was way too long. 
And so we started having conversations with the state, and they quickly realized that we, they wanted to help us here in Ramsey County. And so I want to thank, you know, the superintendent of the BCA and, of course, Governor Walls' administration to prioritize this. But now, hopefully, we can get to a 30-day turnaround time, which would be normal. So the, all of this really, really matters, especially in the context of us being able to bring forward charges and then us also being able to actually try these cases and getting convictions. John, wanted to jump in. It says, uh, according to a press release that was released by your office, Minnesota saw a 30 percent increase in violent crime and a 109 percent increase in gun related crime from the years 2019 to 22. That's astonishing. Right. Well, that's what we're experiencing. We are in the, in this community. We're experiencing things uh, that we haven't experienced in quite some time. And, you know, this is also happening across the country. But the bottom line is that we still have to be able to hold people accountable. We have to do that work. And as, you know, the stressors are, you know, and the challenges are there, it's, you know, it's really important for us, I think, to work together. You know, I'd say about a year ago, two years ago, before the elections, you know, there was a lot of blaming about why we're having uh, this uptick in crime, all of those things. And I've been around long enough to know that, we're never going to solve our problems unless we actually start working together like we did, you know, just around this issue about trying to get more resources to Ramsey County and then also to try to make sure that we get the appropriation at the legislature to support Governor Walz's appropriation. But when leaders can actually sit down and start thinking about and learning about the challenges that everybody else has and and looking to help each other, that's how we solve these issues. And that's our path forward. And I'm hopeful uh, that we're going to get through this little um, period that we have about with regard to some of the crime and the increases. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the carjackings are down uh, by 50 percent in Ramsey County. And I think a big part of that is just, again, working together and figuring out solutions. And so we'll keep at it. Um, but this is one of the things that really does matter in our ability to solve crimes. I've also noticed that a lot of the people who are victims of gunshot wounds but these are people who are being shot but survived or witnesses are not cooperating with uh, the investigation and the prosecution. Is so it be, are, case, John, are they, are they, I mean, you use the word gang, but yeah. I've heard different law enforcement tell me that the whole n- notion of a gang has changed quite mm-hmm. a bit. But there is that one person gets shot. And then there's the retaliation. Right. So how do you get at right. that root cause? I mean, where, how do you get in front well, we of that? We've got to figure out a way to, uh, to interrupt that and, and figure out ways to help people feel safe. The reason why people don't tell us who shot them is because they feel like they or the people that they care about are, will be at risk of being retaliated against. And it's, so pro- it's wanna... true in some cases, right? You, yep, yeah, absolutely. We saw it play out last weekend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we have to address that. But at the same time, we need to prove, we need to, first of all, catch the suspects who are pulling the triggers. And then we need to hold them accountable. And we can't, if, if the victims aren't going to tell us who did it, then we need to figure out other ways to prove that case beyond a reasonable doubt. So it could be DNA on the handgun that we recovered, right? Or it could be a fingerprint, whatever it is. So the, the, the resources at the lab, uh, at the forensic lab, really, really matters. Yeah. You know, we were there, I don't know how long ago, they had a press event where we got to see the boxes of guns in it just piled high in this little examination room in this one, 
you know, scientists doing work on one particular gun. And, you know, it takes a long time to process a gun, I would imagine. Right. I mean, yeah, it's not just it's not a quick thing, um, especially when you're talking about DNA. Another thing, though, too, Susie, and you just mentioned it, we just have way too many guns out there. It is too easy to get a gun. Mm. And I hope the legislature will have that hard conversation. I think it's a pretty simple answer, but we've been struggling over uh, legislative solutions, but maybe this year. Yeah. Our guest is uh, John Choi, Ramsey County attorney, talking about asking the legislature and your own office. So are you guys going to chip in or put some funding? Yeah, toward, so, toward, yeah. Right. So the legislature, even if they pass the bill, it won't be available until the summer. And we have been having this problem for the past you know, year. So I put in money of our own uh, civil asset forfeiture account. We uh, have an account when we would seize proceeds of a drug sale, things like that. And so we had some of the money available. So we're putting in $110,000 for a one-year period. Of course, it's just a one-year period. And that's why also the the, um, appropriation from the legislature is really critical, not just for Ramsey County, but for the entire state, because this appropriation would make it statewide to get to a place where we could have 30-day turnaround times for things that are sent to the lab. And I think that's important for not just people in Ramsey County, but obviously from all over the state. And what are your thoughts on the state legislature um, providing that money? Do you think it's a for sure, or is it hard to yeah, tell? Yeah, I, I feel very optimistic about it. First of all, it's in the governor's budget. He's recommending it. Yeah. And uh, right now it seems to me like the, the legislature is moving very quickly. They're getting a lot of things done. And, you know, the sad thing was, is that last session, you know, everybody was talking about these public safety challenges that we had. And the legislature did absolutely nothing around public safety. Right. So they've got to deliver. Everybody was talking about it. But I, you know, so we've got we need resources here at the local level. There's a whole laundry list of things that are needed. But, you know, this is a really important one. I heard something, I was actually listening to my friend Tim Nelson over at Public Radio, and he was talking about this DNA used for guns, but it's also used for different crimes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. It can be critical, really critical in a sexual assault examination or a sexual assault case. It could be critical in uh, potentially a carjacking. Um, because you might get DNA fingerprinting inside of the, on the steering wheel uh, to corroborate that the person was inside the, you know, inside the car. So there's a lot of uh, types of tests that can really help make a difference. And it's not just, and so this is the, the forensic laboratory, but then in addition to that, you know, police departments have also been able to develop ways in which we work with you know, just the, the, the cellular wireless phone companies to track location, all of that, all of that, the, the, the digital evidence can also mm-hmm. make a huge difference. So all of these ways in which we gather evidence, uh, it costs money, right? And so uh, just the legislature, you know, investing in that for the local police departments and the, throughout the state is, is really important. Well, John, it's good to talk to you as always. Um, anything else you're working on in terms of your life over there? I know you talked about guns. Um, St. Paul, the city of St. Paul, seen a number of homicides. It's It's got to be heartbreaking to you to some degree, obviously. Oh, yeah, it really is. I mean, the, the saddest thing is you just it's, it seems like some of the violence is really impacting, you know, young victims and young people. Mm. And it just breaks my heart to see how, 
um, young, some of the people that are perpetrating the crimes as well as the victims. Yeah. And the sad part of all of this is, you know, the, the, you know, to hear what happened in Harding High School. Oh. You know, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is just what about those kids that are there who 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 want to learn? Mm. Right. And that's the majority of the school. Right, right. And right. so now they have to, you know, they're they're fearful for their safety and all of these things. And it's just like that's it just can't be that way. And I just hope that the adults in the St. Paul School District leadership will figure this out and make sure that those kids and those families feel like they've got a safe place. They should listen to the school staff and and figure out the solutions. Yeah. Um, because I think, you know, it is like you say, how much of an increase we just mentioned and in your estimation, did you know? Did it ha- was it was it the pandemic that kind of created this space for increase in violence? Or I guess there's a lot of factors at work. I think there's a lot of factors, but without a doubt, I mean, the pandemic certainly accelerated it, or it certainly had a huge impact. I mean, what we've experienced in St. Paul, Minneapolis, um, it's being experienced in lots of other communities mm-hmm. that are similar, that have tall buildings that have the same type of demographics, et cetera. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can start to find solutions and, uh, like you said, maybe get gu- get guns off the streets if we can. Right. The solutions are really what matters. And I just, uh, I like the conversation now. I feel like the blame game is over. People are growing up and recognizing that, in order to really serve the public, we need to focus on the solutions. It's not about trying to point the finger at somebody. And last year, you know, the legislature didn't accomplish anything because they were so focused on not wanting the other side to get a victory. Um, but now that we've got some stability at the legislature, I think they're poised to actually listen to the people and the, the, the local levels of government who are actually dealing with all of this, uh, these issues, and hopefully they'll come through this year. Yeah, and the thing is, just to not just we're almost out of time, but to say all of the programs to help poor, you know, poverty. Um, there's so many root right. issues around this, and so there's if you so can many. if you can bring people up and give them a home that they own with support, you know, do you sort of gradually start to cut down on the problem just by supporting people so they're not desperate and. Right. get into a gang or what have you. And the, and the mental health issues. Oh, too. huge. Yeah. Huge yeah. issue. Huge yeah. issue. It's driving a lot of this as well. Yeah. Well, hopefully we're all going to be part of the solution because it, it's in all of our best interest to do so. Right. If we all pull together, we'll get a lot done in the same direction, though. That's the most important thing. <laughs> okay, John. Thank you so much for <laughs> okay. your time tonight. Ramsey Thanks County there. Attorney John Choi with us on News Talk 830 WCCO. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. 
Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It is a Sunday night. It is 825. It is snowing. My name is Susie Jones in for Geraldine Steele. Steele talking every Sunday night, 7 to 11. Big show for you tonight. Of course, we have a center stage coming up in about a half an hour. Uh, love to talk to Rohan Preston with the Star Tribune. Also going to talk about Tina Turner, that new show at the Orpheum. We're going to have one of the stars on with us coming up as well. We're going to talk a little basketball. The Big Ten tournament wrapped up this afternoon. Iowa beating Ohio State pretty handily, wouldn't you say, Jonathan? Would you say pretty handily, or would you use a different way of describing that? Trouncing? What word would you use? Somebody said destroys. Sorry, trying to get the mic to stop before the creaking stops Yes, here. right, I understand um, that. Uh, I would say uh, boat racing. <laughs> um, I would say uh, annihilating. Mm. Uh, I would say... Um, th- there's there's a, a phrase that some may find a little offensive, I guess. Curb stomping. Mm. Um, they they took Ohio State, and Ohio State um, is a very accomplished program overall. And this year's team is a very good team. I believe they were. There's one undefeated team left in all of Division One basketball, men's or women's, and that's the South Carolina women's team. Ohio State, if if I remember correctly, there were three teams left that were undefeated earlier in the season, and Ohio State was one of them. They were the third final team, undefeated team, to fall, to lose a game. Uh, there was LSU and there was South Carolina after them. South Carolina beat LSU earlier this season. Mm. So Ohio State got off to a great start. They ended up fourth in the Big Ten, went through a little swoon in the, in the conference, and they they came back yesterday, and I was actually over at Target Center yesterday for the semifinals. I said to myself, I have to see Caitlin Clark, Iowa's star guard, in person. You have to remember, I'm an Iowa State grad. I eschew everything Iowa. You think you people in Minnesota have it rough with Iowa, with, with the University of Iowa? Talk to an Iowa State person. <laughs> so I... I I denigrate everything Iowa. Um, <laughs> Caitlin Clark is worth the price of admission. Mm-hmm. She is phenomenal as a basketball player to watch. And a junior. Yes, she she technically could come back next year, although there is a rule now, I believe, you can enter the WNBA draft after your junior season. Okay. So she could go pro after this year. She could go back to Iowa for one more year. We'll see how they do in the NCAA tournament. But going back to Ohio State, yesterday Ohio State faced Indiana. Indiana is the second-ranked team in the country. They've moved all the way up to second rank, second rank in the country, only have two losses on the season going into yesterday. They were up 24 in the first half and 20 at halftime. 
I was sitting next to a bunch of people, uh, a, a, a group of elderly women about your age. Ah! I'm serious. I'm serious. Don't call me elderly. I'm, you're not elderly, but but women that were around your age, and they knew their basketball, and they were quite excited to see this these semifinals. Um, I sat next to them for for the Indiana Ohio State game. We kind of thought it's kind of over at halftime. Ohio State's got to got to really turn it around. They did, and they won. So knowing that you come back from 20 points down against the second ranked team in the country in the second half. That gives you a lot of confidence. Iowa destroyed that probably within the first quarter of the game. Yeah. I turned it on. I got here. I turned it on. It was 22 to 9 yeah. in the first quarter. I said, uh oh. Uh oh. And it just got worse and worse and worse for Ohio State. And they just were not hitting anything. Like nothing was going in. It, it was, was just it was like, like the first oh. half yesterday. The first half yesterday, Ohio State couldn't hit anything. The second half, they only hit a few outside shots. But that was all they needed, and their press, uh, their press defense, to really fluster Indiana and, and get the momentum back. They so, tr- they tried that press today against Iowa, and Iowa absolutely carved it apart. Oh, it was hard to watch. I actually felt bad. A couple of three pointers from Ohio State, I clapped just because I wanted to give them a right, little praise. Right. Um, now you were we were talking about there's a gal uh, that plays for Iowa, Monica. Monica Zanano, so so the two main players on Iowa, the same thing last year. Monica Zanano, who is a graduate now, she was a senior last year, now she's a graduate student, my and sis- Caitlin Clark. And my sister Jenny taught her at Watertown Mayor School. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so we talked about that today. So congratulations to them. Yes. A lot of people are they- out in the Twin Cities today. I- there are so many Iowa people it- here now. This is so. So this is the thing, and I'll get to this real quick so we can get to break. There are a couple places here in the Midwest that host these big-time tournaments. This is the first time Minneapolis has had the opportunity to host the Big Ten Women's Tournament. And because of that, I think you saw a big influx of Iowa people. They knew their team was good. They knew their team had a shot to win, and they are close by. They're, they're what, three and a half to four? No, I'm sorry. Well, depending on where yeah, you go, where probably four to five hour trek. Yep, some less, some more, depending on where they live. Yes, this is kind of reminiscent of where I'm from in Kansas City, and Kansas City used to host the Big Eight tournament every year, used and now host basically host the Big Twelve tournament every year, basketball tournament, men's and women's. They call those that city. They call Kansas City when those tournaments come around because remember it's close to the University of Kansas, it's close to the University of Missouri. They call it Hilton South. Because the Iowa State fans come in droves to Kansas City. They go in droves there, and they pack the place about as well as a Kansas would do, a Kansas State would do, a Missouri would do at the time. So they represent well. This could, If, if they rotate into Minneapolis, this is probably uh, Carver-Hawkeye North. Cool. And like they announced on the loudspeaker today at Target Center, it was the largest Big Ten crowd for a championship game. Yes. So and that we'll, was nice. And we'll get more into this at, in and, the what's 10 com- o'clock. and what's coming up next year. Okay, good. We'll do that after this on News Talk 830 WCCO. 835 on News Talk 830 WCCO. Hope you're having a good night. My name is Susie Jones. Filling in for Geraldine Steele. Still talking on a Sunday night. I uh, want to remind you if you're listening, 651-461-9226. That is a number that you can jump in. You can ask a question. 
And we did get a text, Jonathan. Someone wondered about getting Gerilyn a card because Gerilyn is a little under the weather. So, yes, you can. And so we'll tell you how in a little bit. I'll give you the address. So, but right now, we are talking to a friend, a fellow reporter, Lou Raguse, who's an investigative reporter with Care 11 Television. And he has written a book. It is so cool. It's called Vanished in Vermilion. And he is on our John Schuster Colwell Banker Hotline. Lou, thanks for po- thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me, Susie. So if you hear an echo, it could be did you hear that echo? You don't have your radio on, do you? No, I don't. Okay. Well, just never mind. I'll just not listen to it. So tell us the story. You were a young reporter. Um it was a summer tell us about the incident in Vermilion, South Dakota, first of all, and how you came to the story. So back in 1971, two high school juniors, Pam Jackson and Sherry Miller, were on their way to an end-of-the-year drinking party out in the country, outside of Vermilion, South Dakota. And these were not your typical party girls. That's it was kind of, They were kind of branching out, trying something new. It was Memorial Day weekend. They kept getting lost on their way to the, this party. They ended up running into some classmates, some boys from their class, who were surprised to see them on the way out there. And they asked for directions how to get there, and they tried following the boys there. They never made it to the party, and they were never seen again. And what happened next? So it was a cold case. Uh, They never found anyone. And how did you come to it? Oh, go ahead. So the investigation at the beginning was was kind of pathetic on the uh, local sheriff who insisted that they ran away. And the case kind of eventually disappeared except for, of course, the families and friends who wondered all those years what happened to them. Fast forward to 2004, and the state of South Dakota opened a cold case unit, and they picked this case as the first case that they wanted to solve with this cold case unit because they had a suspect in mind who was a prison inmate who was in prison for a rape and, uh, and had a history, a terrible history with women, And he happened to be living in the area where this party was held back in 1971 and would have been about the same age as the girls at that time. So they they reopened the case as a cold case in 2004 with the thought that this guy killed them when he was 16 years old himself and potentially buried the girls and their car on this farm he was living on. So they dug up that farm um, trying to find the girls, and really that's where – I came into play because I was a reporter in South Dakota at the time. Okay, okay, so that's how you—that's where you come into the story, and so you covered it as it became a reopened case, obviously. Yes, and yep, and they and they uh, they pursued it as a murder case, and then that's when I'm not going to give away the spoiler, but there's all no. sorts of twists and turns that this cold case takes, and ultimately. Several years later, we find out what happened to Pam and Sherry, and it's a it's a it's a big shocker. And the reason that I wrote the book, though, is that the authorities never explained uh, all these discrepancies over the years, all these things that they got wrong. And we're talking about things like using a hypnotist to hypnotize witnesses to try to draw out thirty year memories, and then believing everything that they say. Oh my goodness! So. You started this, when did you first get your hands on this story? When did you first see this story? 
Well, I, I kept in contact with the families after I moved out of South Dakota in 2008. And about the time that I moved back to Minnesota, back to the Midwest, it was which was 2015, around that time I started talking with the families again, and they were interested in having me put something together for them at first because there are so many wrong details in all the coverage of it over the years in, in the press that they really didn't even know what was true and what was not. And the case had always intrigued me so much, and I wanted to do more digging into it. And so I, I told them, you know, if you're willing to, to give me the time to really research this for a book, I would rather do it that way and, you know, in that way, put it out to the world for everyone. And that's what they wanted me to do, and then that's what I did. How hard was it? It was extremely difficult because, you know, in Minnesota, when a case is closed, you can just request to do a data or a FOIA request for all the police documents and interviews and videos and so forth. In South Dakota, they don't have a data practices law. Oh. So they can keep police reports closed forever. Man. And so I lo- lobbied and, and pushed until finally the attorney general in South Dakota granted me access to the full case. And then the local sheriff, the current sheriff and the current police chief in Vermilion also gave me access to their files after that. So I kind of had this unprecedented access to a case in South Dakota. And so as the people are reading the book there, their minds are being blown because they didn't know any of the stuff that was going on in their own backyard. My goodness. So was it a lot of material? I mean, you talk about getting access to different places. Yeah, like seven banker boxes worth of documents. <laughs> and you read them all line by line? Yes. So I don't want to give away the book. The book is called Vanished in Vermilion. Do you get answers? I mean, do you feel at the end of the book satisfied? Yeah, so in 2013, 2014, it came out in in the news what it, what had happened to Pam and Sherry. But there really weren't like the answers. And so not only do you find out what happened to them, but you find out all the details of how it got to that point. And so that's the best way to put it is that the, the finale, like the people who live in, in Vermilion, I tell them you might know how it ended already, but you have no idea how it happened. Ah. And that's what this book does for them. Yes. Cause I know it, you were asked, uh, the, why did you focus on the investigation and not just, explain how it was all resolved you had a per you had a sense about what you wanted to share in this book yeah it's all about the journey uh there's three parts in the book the first part is the initial investigation in 1971 and how, how it got screwed up so bad back then as well as you know getting to know pam and sherry and who they were even within their own families their siblings had such a wide age difference that their you know their siblings didn't know them as well as like their classmates did so that was an interesting part of it the middle part of the book, the second part, is all about the cold case investigation, which is really like kind of one-on-one on how not to do a cold case investigation. But it's uh, extremely fascinating and a lot of stuff involving confirmation bias where all of a sudden every clue that comes to the police looks like it points them in the right direction, but it may or may not be. And in the third part of the book is kind of like my own investigation after the fact in uh, explaining how things ended up the way they were. So Lou Ragu is with us. Uh, he is a reporter with CARE 11, and he's also an investigative reporter. You know, we cover in our life a lot of bizarre things, and we see different things. How did you know, like, and do you have other stories you say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to start taking 
you know, this one's going to lead me down this path. How did you decide this book, and then why might you do other books? Well, the, the, the weird part about this one was back when I was covering the cold case, I would have breakfast with Pam Jackson's brother-in-law, and he would share with me all these crazy details that they were finding out from the cold case investigators. And he would tell me, someday you have to write a book about this because the stuff that they're finding is so insane. But then so much of it turned out ironically not to be correct. But then the truth of what really happened ended up being a much more interesting book in the end. So it was kind of ironic that I turned back to this case after, after all of that, but it really took the resolution in 2013 to find out what happened to them to really raise a whole bunch of more questions that had just never been answered. By the time that it was revealed what happened to Pam and Sherry, most of the reporters that were covering the story were not there when the cold case was going on because it's a smaller market where reporters come and go, stay a few years and move on. So it really was kind of like unfinished business from my mind. But locally here, you know, there's been a lot of uh, interesting cases as well. But one one difference is, you know, like I had the full support of the family in this one mm-hmm. to uh, to pursue the truth. And that's really what's needed a lot of times in these cases. Like you remember, of course, the, the Jamie Kloss kidnapping in Barron, Wisconsin. Yes. But, you know, that's at this point, that's kind of Jamie's story. So, like, there, there's a lot of examples like that where it would take the people who are involved to really want it to be done. Right, right. And exactly. And to have them be willing and brave enough to do so because it's so traumatic. I mean, to try to have Jamie Claus at that young age and use her as an example of to mm-hmm. really go deep and relive what was unbelievable and horrible, you know, I can mm-hmm. see that some stories just can't be told. Yeah, and she she may or may not decide to do that at some point. But in this case in particular, after Pam Jackson's sister read the book, she told me that it gave her more closure than the law enforcement authorities or even the memorial service that they eventually had gave her. So that was, you know, like a really meaningful compliment that you can get from a family member that makes it feel like it was worth doing. I was going to ask, you were asked by the paper about this, um, why weren't you initially more skeptical of the authorities and what they were telling you. Because I know as news people, we do get press releases and we do go with whatever we are given. And in this case, obviously, so many uh, mistakes were made and misinformation. Mm -hmm. Does it sort of change how you see your own job and when you get information from people and how to look at it? Yeah, and there were a couple of different reasons for that. I was only 22 years old at the time, so, you know, I was learning how to do the business on one hand. But the main factor was that in South Dakota, you you just have no way to double check their work. And so they were giving us what we thought was a lot of information. And like, I'll just give you an example. When they searched that farm, they, they, they have a search warrant to search this farm. And then they file the receipts or the inventory of what they, they took from the farm. And it said that they took bones and clothing and a red purse, among other things. And so, like, you know, well, geez, they they took bones, you know. And, and we're like, we ask, are those human bones? And then their answer is, well, we won't know for several weeks until the testing comes back. And then, you know, we just report, we, we report that and we report what we're being told. 
Well, then they never end up telling us what the test results were, and we have no other way to check. It's because it's it's just a very closed to the public system there. And so we were we were victimized by the authorities in that way. And you know, it's 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 a lot easier in hindsight to say, well, yeah, they were lying to us the whole time, but you know, we we were just kind of stuck at the same on the same token. Have you felt that way in other stories that you've covered where you get, you know, stonewalled? Yeah, I mean, we've been stonewalled before, but it, it was never to that extent. And I think that it helps in Minnesota that, you know, they can lie, but the lie will eventually come out, usually, nowadays, anyway. Yeah. And so I think I think that, that keeps them honest a little bit more. Yeah. And there, there, there just was, there was no recourse there. And like... Just as an example, one of the leaders of the cold case unit um, went on to be the secretary of public safety for the state of South Dakota. So, like, basically everyone got a promotion when it was all said and done. Hmm. Uh, what the, the the attorney general became a judge. Um, the other cold case guy became the oh. leader of the DCI, which is like the Minnesota BCA. So it's like everybody got a promotion, even though they screwed up. So ah. nothing, nothing mattered. Gosh. It just kind of kills you sometimes. It, like we live our lives and we sort of believe what we are told, and and yet it's. I always think honestly, Lou, of the George Floyd press release the morning that George, the morning after uh, Memorial Day, when mm-hmm. it, you know a man in his forties died of a medical condition. That's what it said. <laughs> I don't know if you yep. remember that, but you know, had oh, yeah, yep, totally. I mean, had there not been video, I think I asked that of the chief at the time. Had there not been video. Nobody would have even blinked at that story. A man right. in his forty, and even if an eyewitness came forward, you know, then you're you're like, well, do we believe this person that says that they saw different, or do we believe what the police are saying? Yeah, so it it creates that 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 that's that's a problem, and yeah. so it it is easier now to get to the truth, I think, than it was before. But especially when there were no ramifications, it was even harder. Yeah. So two things: you're going to a book signing in your hometown. Is that right? Yep, that's tomorrow. And where is that? Wheaton, Minnesota. Wonderful. And Wheaton, you're... Minnesota. It's on the western border of the state. <laughs> and and how do you feel? Do you feel pretty good? I mean, it's it's done. You're getting accolades. You're getting publicity. How does it feel? Yeah, it feels great. I mean, it's like um, you know when you when you work on something for so long and you read it over yourself and make so many changes, then you start to wonder, oh, geez, is this thing any good? Because you've just only been looking at it yourself for so long. So it feels really good to have other people read it and say how good they feel it is, too. And it's been wildly successful. Uh, Amazon sold out uh, within six days. That's great. And had to get more stock right right when we were promoting it. So that was a a twist. But, um, yeah, and Barnes & Noble has been having trouble keeping it in stock as well. So, yeah, it's been selling like crazy. Is it kind of like a murder mystery? I mean, is it a you know page turner kind of thing? Is that how? Yeah, because I love absolutely. that stuff. Yeah, I, I'll get the book. Mm-hmm. I'll read it. And that, and that's uh, another issue with this case was you know the suspect he he had some legitimately horrible crimes. Okay, so it's not like you know Joe Blow on the street is just picked up and and they're trying to pin something on him. It's like he believably could have done what they are trying to pin on him. Right. And so at that point, you know, the, it makes it harder to doubt as well. And right. and then also from a, the public standpoint, 
they might shrug and say, well, so what if they got it wrong? That guy's in prison and he did a horrible thing. I think the book really makes you question, like, what are your feelings on justice? Like, what does justice look like to somebody who may have done horrible things in the past, but is maybe not guilty of what he's being accused of now? Yeah. And it's a lot of a lot of gray area and self-reflection. And that's kind of what I thrive in in the job is kind of all the, the gray areas of all these issues we cover. Yeah. Well, thank you. Drive careful tomorrow. We got some snow, so don't don't go fast. Yep. And um, I pre- <laughs> congratulations you, on the book. And we look forward to reading it. I appreciate that. All right. Have a good night. Good night. That is Lou Raguse from Channel 11. Uh, brand new book getting Great Reviews Vanished in Vermilion, the story of the summer of 1971. Two two girls uh, went missing and uh, have to read the book to find out more about what happened and the mistakes that were made. Let's see. It is about 8.53. We're going to take a break, and then we'll let you know what's coming up in the 9 o'clock hour after that. How about that? Kind of jazzing it up a little for you on a Sunday night. Just about 9 o'clock couple minutes away anyway. Susie Jones in for Geraldine Steele. Steele talking every Sunday night from 7 to 11. Jonathan Lowe. Chris Tubbs, the producer of the show. Jonathan Lowe steering the ship tonight. It's been a busy couple of hours. A lot of guests, a lot of good information. want to mention once again, Jonathan, that Geraldine Steele is a bit under the weather. And a texter right, wrote in and asked how he or she could send a card to send her some good wishes. And you can do that if you're listening and like to send a card to Geraldine. Our our address here at the station is 625 2nd Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55402. And I think she would appreciate that. It's always nice to get cards from people when you're you're going through things. Again, it is 625 2nd Avenue South, downtown Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55402. Also want to talk briefly as we near the top of the hour a little bit about the weather. It's, it is snowing out there. We are under a winter weather advisory. That's snow overnight. A little messy tomorrow, so we'll keep you up to date on all of the weather coming up after this break on News Talk 830-WCCO. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 